This is Truth Encounter, and our study leader, Dave Wurtson, talks to us from Deuteronomy chapter 13 today about the seduction of false ideas and beliefs that can tempt us to wander away from the biblical God, not just after eighth grade or in your freshman year of college, but any time. He begins our lesson by reading to a group of children in his home church the fairy tale of the Pied Piper. Hamelin, evidently, was a little hamlet in Germany, was nestled in the hills. We couldn't say that about much of our towns around here, but down in Austin we could. Nestled in the hills. It was a pleasant town, and the people there lived contentedly. Their cows were fat, and their crops grew well. The children played happily, just like you always play happily. And they romped through the cobbled streets. The air was full of their laughter. But one autumn, a terrible disaster befell the town. Hamelin was invaded by rats. Girls, isn't that great? And all the little girls in the town were just excited and thrilled as the rats climbed on their beds at night. No, it doesn't say that. At first, the people were not too alarmed because there were always a few rats in every town, but packs of rats are unusual. And when packs of rats become armies of rats, the townspeople were in an uproar. Rats were everywhere, squeaking and scurrying and gnawing everything in sight. They ran through bedrooms, across tables, and under chairs and beds. They swam in bathtubs and jumped into babies' cradles. The inhabitants were frantic, and the town councilors were in despair. The councilors, in an emergency meeting, put their beards together and combined their great wisdom to deal with the crisis. I have it, cried the first town councilor. Traps. Idiots, snapped the second. We have millions of rats, but where do we get that many traps? Then cats, shouted the third. We'll organize an army of cats to chase the rats away. The many rats watching this assembled laughed heartedly, knowing they had long since eaten every single cat in Hamlin. His honor, the mayor, will know what to do, said the fourth. We'll place this serious matter in his hands. But since we have no easy solution, the mayor said he was too busy to see them. Sounds like some politicians that I know. Then furiously, all the townspeople gathered before the town hall to protest, raising a great outcry. Down with the mayor! Down with the mayor, they shouted. Down with the mayor, who won't do anything about the horrid rats. The mayor was not really busy, of course, but only hiding from the angry mob and feeling very sorry for him. After all, when he ran to be the mayor of the town, he didn't think he'd ever have to deal with problems like rats. As he listened fearfully to the shouting mob outside, there were three light raps, and the door suddenly opened and in danced a funny-looking young man. He was wearing a red and yellow suit, pointed boots, and a feathered cap, and he carried a long pipe. Your Honor, said the stranger immediately, I am a piper with magic powers, and I can rid your town of rats. Will you pay me a thousand florins if I do? Only a thousand, cried the mayor eagerly. I'll give you 50 times that much if you succeed. 50,000 florins? Your word on it? Your honor? Asked the piper. My word of honor, promised the mayor. But how can you do it? With my magic pipe, answered the piper. I can lure any creatures that live, animals, birds, fish, or even men. I can pipe to each one a special tune. And thus I can get rid of any pest. 
The piper danced up the door and down the street playing a strange and haunting tune. And as the story progresses, as he began to play, all the rats began to follow him. They followed him up one street, down the other, millions upon millions of rats. The piper went outside the city gate. He moved out into the country. And soon he took all those rats and he marched them right over a cliff into the sea. And they were all drowned. And the town rejoiced because when they went to bed at night, the rats weren't any longer gnawing at their toes and nibbling at their fingers. And everybody threw a great big celebration. They all rejoiced. The mayor came out and the mayor expressed how he had solved the rat problem in the city of Hamelin. And like every good politician, he, he warmed to the applause and he warmed to the occasion. The piper suddenly came to him at the end of the celebration. And he said, I want my 50,000 florins. And the mayor said, what 50,000 florins? The 50,000 florins that you promised to give me if I rid Hamlin of the rats. And the mayor scratched his head and said, I don't see that in the budget for this coming year. And he failed to pay. The piper became very angry and he said, remember that I'm a magical piper. And I can play a tune that can entice any creature. And he went out on the streets and he began to play magical, haunting melodies. They were the kind of melodies that make children begin to think of cotton candy at Six Flags. And to think of beautiful holidays down on the beach. And being able to travel to Disneyland out in L.A. No, not really, but he played melodies that made children to be begin to think of all kinds of dreams and all kinds of things that they'd like to do. And you know what? They began to follow the Pied Piper. All the children in one block of the city followed the Pied Piper. And then all the children from another part of the city followed the Pied Piper. In fact, soon all of the children in Hamlin were like one happy, skipping, gay group of people as they moved through the city. And these children moved out the city gates. Their parents watched them go up out into the country. They moved up into the mountains. And suddenly on the face of one of the mountains, a door opened and all the children went and followed the Pied Piper into this mountain except for one little boy who was lame that couldn't keep up. That lame boy knocked and knocked and knocked on the, on the wall of the mountain where the Pied Piper had taken all of his friends. He hobbled back to the city and he told the story of what had happened to all the children. And though the parents cried, and though all the city mourned for days, the children of Hamelin had disappeared forever and ever and ever. That's hardly a bedtime story, is it? But you know what? It really illustrates what we want to talk about in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13. As you all grow up, one of the things I want you to realize is that there's going to be some pied pipers. They're going to play some melodies to you. They're not going to be playing literal flutes. But as you grow older, there are going to be people telling you, don't follow Jesus. Don't believe the Bible. That's just a bunch of fairy tales. And they're going to be like Pied Pipers that, that play haunting melodies. You're going to say, hey, you need to follow this, and you need to follow that, and you need to get involved in this. And you're going to be tempted to follow them. And I want you to always remember, I want you to always remember that you learn that there could come a false Pied Piper who could cause children to follow him into destruction and loss. Now, how can you be protected from following a false 
religious teacher? How can your moms and dads, how can your friends be protected from following a false religious teacher? We're going to learn that one of the ways that we can know whether someone's a false religious Pied Piper or whether they're telling us the truth is whether or not what they're teaching us is from the Word of God. How many of you have started to read the Bible, say, like in the morning before you go to school, or maybe mom and dad read some during the day, or maybe just before you go to bed at night, dad gets out not just a fairy tale story, but he gets out like a Bible story, and he reads those accounts to you from the Word of God. I want to really challenge you to begin to do that. If you're not doing it already, I want you to get on your parents and get them to spend some time every single day. We're helping you to read the Word of God. Why is that so important? Because it's the only way that we can be protected from following a Pied Piper who tells us lies in the name of God. Deuteronomy chapter 13 could be entitled, The False Religious Pied Piper. As we gather together today, there are many Pied Pipers throughout the world that are playing haunting melodies to us. There's the haunting melody of Eastern mysticism. I guarantee you that sooner or later you're going to have someone come to you and says, hey, you need to join this yoga class. It will bring a lot of relaxation to you. It might be in your business. It might be kind of a seminar that you're invited to go to. And as you go to the, to the seminar, they teach you relaxation techniques. And they begin to teach you how to get outside yourself, how to get beyond your reason, how to be able to get in touch with the great beyond. And as you sit in your lotus position, you're going to feel tremendous pulls upon your life. You're going to have sensations in your body of such tranquility and such peace like you've never experienced before. And some of you are going to say, man, I sat in church and, and other studies of the Word of God, and I never felt like this. I mean, I, I never had this feeling like I was awash in a great ocean of nothingness, and I've never been so released from the pressure and tremendous excitement and thrill of something new is going to grip your heart. And you're going to be tempted to follow the Pied Piper of false religion. Some of you, as you grow older and you go out into various situations, are going to be in a meeting, maybe a meeting a lot like this. And you're going to have someone that can do incredible, powerful things. You might have a friend sitting next to you that has been sick for many years, maybe with a bleeding ulcer. And you might know that this friend has tried one medication after another. And in this meeting, a tremendous dynamic will start to take place. And this person, your friend that, that's really ill, is invited to come forward. And this person, this religious leader that's generated so much high and, and so much excitement in the crowd, will put his hand or her hand on your friend and wham, they're just out cold. And when they wake up, the ulcer's gone. But as you become involved in this mental life, you start to feel like, I've seen reality. I've seen the power of the miracle. But as you begin to analyze it, you notice that the teacher's giving new revelation. It's not just the revelation of the Bible, but it's new, intoxicating, exhilarating, exciting mysteries that nobody ever taught you from Genesis to Revelation. And when you combine the power of persuasive newness and the power of the miracle, and you can be following the Pied Piper. How do I know that? Some of you have gone through phases in your lives where you have followed the Pied Piper of false teaching. We want to talk about a very important passage because it talks to you 
about how to resist the haunting melodies of the false religious Pied Piper. Moses, before the children of Israel, even faced the power of a false prophet. Moses tried to give them a preventative inoculation that would forever protect his loved ones from ever following the false, haunting, mysterious melodies of false teaching. Sadly to say, Deuteronomy 13 was given to the children of Israel long before they entered the Promised Land. But as we think back over the history of the Old Testament, one of the dominant lessons that we learned is that they listened to the false prophet and tended not to listen to the true prophet. Down through history, the history of God's dealing with his people is that they tend to have itching ears for what is false and what is just comforting and what brings tranquility. And they tend to not want to hear what is truly from the Lord God of heaven. But Moses realizes, though, that maybe the people won't, re won't listen. He realizes that if he can get one person to listen, if he can get one child not to follow the, the Pied Piper of false religion, if he can get one young person not to be seduced into, into Eastern mysticism, if he can get one adult not to believe the, the prosperity gospel of health and wealth, if he can get one person not to believe that the ultimate walk with God is just going to mean Cadillacs and, and marvelous prosperity, if he can get one person to really build their life on the solidity of an intimate, close relationship, of an ethical, moral walk with God based upon the gift of the Messiah. If he can get one person not to be seduced by the haunting melody of the false prophet, then all of his instruction was worth it. And so he begins chapter 13 like this. If a prophet or one who foretells dreams appears among you, and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder. And if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, now I want you to notice something. This false prophet does have a dream. And in the Old Testament, as Moses wrote these words, one of the dominant ways that God spoke to people was through dreams. Can anybody tell me, in our own studies, as we've gone through the Word of God, what are some of the dreamers that we know that they've received a dream from God? Can you think of some of them? What's one of them? Joseph is one of them that comes to mind right away. The Lord gave him two dreams right in his 17th year. And they were dreams that revealed the whole future for him. In that story, the account went on to talk about Pharaoh receiving a dream from the Lord. Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, had a dream. As we move further into the Bible, Daniel was a prophet during the exile in Babylon. And the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that revealed all of human history. And the Lord gave Daniel dreams that focused the details of that history even more clearly. And so in the Old Testament, dreams was one of the ways that the Lord would speak to a man. The word vision could come, talks about an event that could happen to a man like Ezekiel. For example, right in the daytime, a true prophet of God could be meditating or studying the scriptures that he'd received. And suddenly the Lord would bring him into a, into a state that would give him a vision of heaven. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 2, we have an incredible vision of the exalted God. We see a picture of the throne room of heaven. So dreams and visions in the Old Testament were legitimate ways 
of hearing the voice of God. And Moses pictures a prophet, in this case a man, who comes among the Israelites and he is talking about his dream. He's talking about his vision. He also makes predictions about the future. Can you imagine if somebody could tell you the kids that are seniors in high school this year, that this person tells you, you are going to go to such and such a school, and you are going to have such and such a roommate, and you're going to have a gift that's given to you that covers all of your expenses for the entire year. And when you go in the fall, it all happens just exactly the way they predicted. What would you be tempted to do with somebody like that? Wouldn't you be tempted to say, boy, this person is in touch with the ultimate God. This person can predict the future, and it all comes true. Wouldn't that be an incredibly powerful thing in your life? In fact, to be honest with you, I cringe as your pastor teacher. Many of us would not be able to resist that kind of allure. Can you imagine the excitement of being able to gather together, and I'm able to make predictions about the future that come true? I'm able to do mighty miracles. And you would all be tempted to say, man, that must be the one that we should follow. That must be the one that we should listen to. But I want you to notice something. Moses says there can come a person who can do miracles, who can predict the future, and sometimes their prediction will come true. But he says this, if they say, let us follow after other gods, gods you have not known, And they say, let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. I say, Moses, even if they're able to do miracles, you mean to tell me that miracles is not an ultimate guarantee that someone is giving me the voice of God? That's right, and I want every one of you to know that. The ability to do a sign or a wonder is not an absolute guarantee that the Lord God of heaven is speaking through a person. You say, Dave, the ability to predict the future, one of the major evidences of a prophet of God was the ability to predict the future. That's true. But the false teacher, the false prophet, can come close. Satan's smart. He's very brilliant. He can put a lot of things together. Nostradamus, the French physician, in occult literature, made some incredibly powerful predictions. And the cunning way that he's presented makes it look like he hardly ever misses. And you read that kind of literature and you're tempted to believe this must be the gospel truth. And you've forgotten Deuteronomy chapter 13 because Moses tells us just miracle and just predictive prophecy is not enough. You say, Dave, what do I need to ask myself? Is this person teaching me to follow and to love the God of Genesis through Revelation? And that implies that you know this book quite well. The only way you're going to be protected against false spiritual Pied Pipers is to know for yourself this precious book that will give you discernment, the ability to decide between what is truth and what is error. Now, Moses develops this ability and this means of being able to discern truth from error. Look what he says in verse 5. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you 
to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, this isn't a mean test. The Lord never tests you to try to get you to fail. In fact, the Lord always tests us to build our strength and to prove our trueness and our genuineness in our walk with him. For example, when the Lord God took his son out into the wilderness to tempt him and to test him, Satan wanted to tempt him, but the Lord God of heaven was only demonstrating the strength of his son. So don't think that the Lord is playing some kind of a cosmic weird game with you and he's trying to go, ha ha, I faked you out again. That's not his intent at all. But he does want to know your heart. And one of the great mysteries about your relationship with him is that he gives us the right to choose. He gives us the right to decide. He gives us the freedom. If we want to, we can walk away. And it's the freedom to be able to walk away that proves the reality of the authenticity of our choice of him. In other words, I've often shared with you, if I made Mary say, yes, you will marry me. Yes, you will be my wife. If I forced her to do that, then I could never know of her love. The reality of the matter is, if Mary wants to walk out even this morning, she can. It would tear my heart apart, but I don't have her in our home. I don't lock the doors at night and say, I don't want Mary to leave. She has to have freedom. It's the freedom of love. It's the freedom of choice. And as we go through a marriage relationship and various testings and various temptations come upon us, they are tests of where is our true choice of devotion. For example, if a wife suddenly starts to say, I'm leaving you. I'm going to walk out on you. You don't do what I want. I'm gone. You know what the response to that needs to be from a husband? Honey, I love you. I made a vow of commitment to you. I will be here for you. But if you're going to make a choice to leave, you can leave. And there will not be blackmail in this marriage. Because that's exactly what it is. You see, you can't play games with those ultimate choices of commitment. You don't talk lightly about that. Don't get in a marriage relationship where you're blackmailing one another with the depth of your commitment, which couples do greatly. And I want you to understand that the Lord God of heaven doesn't play that game. He's saying, I want to know what your heart commitment is. I want to know what your commitment of devotion to me is. Now, obviously, as the omniscient God, he already knows that. But he also chooses to enter into a real relationship with us where the struggle of commitment, the struggle of devotion is very real. And so a false prophet comes into your life. It's like a false lover. It's like all the emotion of the excitement of a new exciting relationship. And the Lord is seeing, I'm going to see where your heart really lies. And so the false prophet's able to do mighty miracles. They're able to make predictions of the future. And they begin to suck you away. And the Lord God is heaven is saying, I'm seeing what your heart really is committed to. Where your love really lies. Moses goes on and talks about not only the importance of that genuine, authentic commitment in our soul, but he says this in verse 4. It is the Lord your God you must follow. You say, Dave, how can I be protected from false teaching?" Right now, today, you need to be following, you need to be walking with the Lord God of heaven. The only way we can be protected from false teaching is to be following the guide of the Lord God of heaven. 
When I was over in France, one of the missionaries takes kids, about 15 kids, on a 10-day hike through the Alps. Really a tough job for Jesus, isn't it? He said that too. But one of the things he talked to me about, he talked to me about often this time of the year, in fact, the day that he left our conference, he was gathering with about 15 kids and taking them on this 10-day trek. He was saying often they get up in the mountains and a snowstorm will hit them. And he talked about walking for hours in these blinding snowstorms. And he talked about every one of those kids having to, to keep touch, to keep like even a hand on the person in front of them. And he talked to me about how that was the only way you could stay together in these whiteouts. But he knows the way. Steve knows the way. He's been in those mountains for many years. And as those kids keep their hand on him and they walk with him, they're going to make it, even in perilous times. That's the imagery that God is using. He's saying, you're living in perilous times. He's saying, keep your hand in mind. Follow me every day. Walk with me every day. He also says this, you need to reverence me. That's a word that we've talked about often. We've come to the book of Deuteronomy. But he's saying, if you want to be protected, if you want to be careful not to following the haunting melodies of the Pied Piper, then what you need to do is to have a healthy respect, a healthy fear of turning away from the Lord. If you were walking with my friend Steve on that 10-day trek through the Alps and suddenly you got in a whiteout, you should have a healthy fear of letting go of his presence. Because there are precipices that will destroy you. There are, you know, cliffs and there's rocks and, there, and there's animals that could destroy you. It's a very dangerous situation. And you should have a healthy respect when Steve says to you before you begin that hike, don't lose touch with me. Stay up with me. Follow my directions. You should have a healthy fear of letting go and of disobeying. And that's what the Lord God is saying. It's not that you have some God in heaven that's like the boogeyman that you're afraid of. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, I am the one who really knows about all the dangers. I'm the one that controls all the awesome powers. I am the ultimate omnipotent one. Don't ever take me for granted. Don't ever treat me lightly. And have a healthy respect, a healthy fear of ever turning away from me. Because he's saying, I love you. I'm the one that will protect you from the dangers along the way. He goes on and says this, I not only want you to keep a hold of my hand and follow me, I not only want you to have a healthy reverence for me, but he says, I want you to obey me. Keep his command. He says, keep my commands and obey him. Now, God doesn't tell us that he wants us to obey his commands because they're arbitrary and they're mean. You know that by now. We've studied through the Ten Commandments, and one of the things that we learned is that the Ten Commandments are a demonstration of God's love for you. Remember we learned, thou shalt not steal? The reason the Lord doesn't want someone to steal is that it hurts you. If you're an adult family and you suddenly walk into your house and your house has been ransacked and your stereo is gone and, and your TV is gone and your telephones are gone and your clothes have been pawed through and your, your wedding rings are gone because you took them off and laid them by the sink, it hurts you. In fact, you feel violated. So God loves you so much, he says, thou shalt not steal. And if society can't tolerate stealing, it's wrong. Because God is good. 
He loves us. Now, you all understand that God's command, thou shalt not steal, is really good for you. Well, move that into all the commands that God has given you. There's something that's very important that Moses wants us to understand. God wants us to obey him because he's the one that's giving us the instructions about how to live. God's moral ethical commands are never arbitrary. They're always the perfect expression of a tender love. They're the nose of his love. They're the nose of his love. And so obey his commands in material things, obey his commands in relationships. Oh, how important it is. He says, you must obey me. He says, you must obey my commands and obey me. You must serve him. The only way to be protected from false teaching is to be enjoying intimacy with him, not letting go of his hand, have a healthy respect of losing touch with him, fearing losing his presence and fearing not obeying him, being obedient and then serving him living every single day. This Christianity thing, just like this Old Testament faith, can never be just half-hearted. 